in this episode. I don't have to care how everyone else is a fan of X, but Ian, what is your problem with Star Wars? Luke would be a stand-up guy even if he didn't have aspirations to be a space wizard. Which is just utter blamange, and I reject it. People kind of remember it like that, but that's not what happened. Which is true. Luke got to go and bum around creating a kind of hippie camp for Jedi kids to go and express themselves. And where, where it's implied he was having a sexual relationship with his robot. That was it. That was the job. He did it. Let's move on. We're doing something very wrong here. We've made a mistake. We're, we're in the wrong timeline, and we need to go back t- back in time and change things somehow. Say what you like about the Imperial Vanguard and Darth Vader, but at least it's an ethos. Everything they fought for has been undone. But this is a battle where I don't want anyone to die, because I think the droids are cute, and I think the Gungans are cute. Why can't they all just get along? Everything's bankrupt and destroyed and war-torn and ev- everything's corrupt and and it's, it's fe- effectively a giant galactic failed state. Yeah, that looks like a Star Wars movie to me. I'm from the future. You should go to China. What is your problem with Star Wars? Is this how we're opening now? Okay, well, I, I love Star Wars. I adore Star Wars. I was Mr. Star Wars. I had Star Wars action figures, Star Wars vehicles, Star Wars miniatures. As an adult, I buy board games from Fantasy Flight, which come with lots of minis, and I very rarely play them. But that doesn't matter, because now at last I have an excuse to go out and buy things that are actually Star Wars toys. Unironically, I greeted the news of Disney's purchase of Star Wars with a certain degree of expectation and joy. Goodness me, who hadn't kicked the prequels round the yard at this point? I thought Disney know how to put together a fairly standard action-adventure film. They won't be as good or as deep or as magical as our childhood original trilogies. Of course they won't be. But at least it'll be a decent movie. At least it'll be a fun family adventure of good versus evil with a bit of space wizardry going on in the background. What could possibly go wrong, Leah? What could possibly happen where now we have outright rebellion amongst vast swathes of fans and you do get some people making a stand on the quality of the films but by and large the the, the judgment seems to be well if you don't like these films you're a bit racist which is just utter blamange and I reject it but even even turning off all your social media your YouTube your Twitter or your BuzzFeed articles just shutting the internet down and just being a punter going to the cinema I have to admit I'm feeling a little bit flat right now about Star Wars in general. It's grim. Uh, well, let me uh, counterpoint that with, uh, first thing, I was never Mr. Star Wars. Even to the extent that I think that most kids 
kind of discover... I don't know. How did you discover Star Wars? Uh, I think my dad said, you'll probably like this and prop me in front of it. Right. And, of course, it was, it was also the generation where everybody had Star Wars toys. I had an older brother who also had Star Wars toys, and what your elder brother's playing with is intrinsically cool. Right, okay. So, uh, nobody even mentioned Star Wars in my house. I had to find out about it from a friend. Did, did, did your dad have a certain disdain for this thing, perhaps? Yeah, he thought it was silly. Over time, I came to understand he didn't think it was bad per se. He just thought it was silly. Uh, and he he understood that children might want to watch it. He, in fact, took me to see Return of the Jedi in the cinema because I was, like, eight or whatever at that point, and he didn't mind doing it, and he watched it. But he never stopped to think, oh, well, you know, this is definitely something that is worth promoting. He just said, oh, well, there it is, and I suppose you're going to want to see it. Well, you know... Uh- for me, it, you know, obviously Star Wars is just this one film that pops up every three years, which for, for a child is, is like an Olympian distance, and surely your mind wanders to other activities. And I suppose they did, but it's the fact that we had the Star Wars action figures, which were the premier action figures of, of our childhood. And there was always a constant spill through of vehicles and activity books. We, we had the Empire Strikes Back sticker albums, my brother and I, and we both filled our sticker albums. You know, when they run out of vehicles to make from Star Wars films, they started inventing new, cheaper, more affordable vehicles that you could go buy. There was always some new, obscure character from the background they could bring out and release, and I would, I would reliably get it. It was just this thing that was always there trundling along. There wasn't any cartoon series to prop us up in the in-between periods, but for some reason, it just had this radiation. It wasn't even lost in too much speculation at the time, because children don't really speculate like that. But it was just, it was omnipresent. It was like God. The idea of a cultural thing in the 80s being embedded and radiating outwards is something I'm going to return to in our Halloween special. But it's not the same anymore, because everything radiates via the internet. Everything does. So, obviously, that gives people more of an opportunity to nitpick and and go over things. But I've got a son, and my son is really into Thomas Tank Engine. And I was, I always loathed Thomas Tank Engine as a child. I was never really into trains, didn't do it, right? Because he's my son, it's like, let's go to a steam gala and take pictures of him grinning from ear to ear as he sees real steam trains. And let's buy him Thomas the Tank Engine toys, and let's make sure he's got at least one, if not about five Thomases, a plushy Thomas, and a one Thomas that's like this, and one of this size, and blah, 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 blah. Now, I'm not saying my parents were weird, but they never did that. They never went, oh, he's really into stuff. I think they were all like, oh, he'll get interested in something else in ten minutes. Like, what's really interesting about that is that the things I'm interested in, I'm really interested in, because nobody else was interested in them on my behalf. Like, I've got no doubt that my son is always going to have a residual affection for Thomas the Tank Engine, but I think there's something about the fierceness of an enthusiasm that you get, despite the fact that everyone else is like, you're not really interested in that, you change your mind in ten minutes, and then you're still interested in it. Star Wars is not one of those things, I hasten to add. Marvel definitely is, but Star Wars, nobody ever thought I would be interested. I'm kind of interested, but the fact that everyone else undermined me with meh 
And I think that's part of the passion, is this idea that Star Wars gives parents, or gave parents something. Like, it was easy to buy your kids Star Wars toys, for God's sake. Like, it was easy. You could go to the toy store, pick up some toys for Star Wars, give them to the child. Child is happy. You go and buy a child, a Millennium Falcon, after they've seen Star Wars, they're going to be your best friend for 20 minutes till you tell them they can't have seconds of dessert or whatever. You know how children work. But the, the point is that it's like something where it's easy. To, I think many parents feel the need to score points with their children, and Star Wars was well, an easy Well, it's way not like space adventure wasn't a big thing before Star Wars came along. It, it was just that this was the it was the highest quality version we had, and after the Star Wars craze, there were many pretenders. Yes. And honestly, I think the closest thing to get to Star Wars was Battlestar Galactica, the original series, in in terms of quality. Everything else just looked cheaper. Everything else looked like a cash-in. Star Wars was just a brand leader for uh, even a decade after it had come and gone. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, the point is, I now know the parent mindset. My son is into Thomas Tank Engine, who is a merchandising behemoth. Yeah. And he's also yeah. into Fireman Sam, who is not a merchandising behemoth. He's also at the moment and has been watching on a loop for the last month, which is great for all of us, I can assure you. A Russian computer animated television series called Masha and the Bear, of which there is three hours of in existence. Three hours, four hours, not very much. And he will just watch it on Netflix, round on loop. Yet to the end, he goes back to the beginning. He gets to the end, he goes back to the beginning. This is not a merchandising cash cow either. He's got dozens of Thomas toys because I can pick them up anywhere I go. He has virtually no Fireman Sam toys, maybe one or two, and obviously no Masher and the Bear toys, but his enthusiasm for the media from which these things spring is undiluted. Uh, You know, they're all equal. In fact, Thomas, I think, is probably the third favourite out of the three, yeah? But the point is, they're toys, so you buy them. And that's exactly, I think that's how Star Wars comes up. It's like, maybe the kid is more into something else, but Star Wars is easy to get toys for. It's not only that, there's more to it than that. You you have a toddler, so he's he's not exactly social. He doesn't have friends he goes and plays with, necessarily, like we would imagine kids playing together. He's just a bit too young for that level of higher social activity. Star Wars was a very social thing to do as well. You could talk stars or with friends. You could look through toy catalogues with friends. You play with Star Wars toys together. You play Star Wars in the playground. We kept it going when it wasn't around. That's where Star Wars came from. And we haven't really even discussed the original trilogy at this point. We've just discussed its impact outside of it existing. Why uh, original Star Wars was great. I think you'll, you'll find that in lots of places to be talked about. Uh, you know, redemption documentaries of how to properly interpret the prequels we found as well. It's the fact that we seem to have this outright rejection going on, which, which is strange because it started out when the, when the, the sequel trilogy first came on, it was initially received with maximal excitement, I felt, across the board. And even the detractors, detractors who came away from it going, it's a bit of a remake of the first Star Wars 1977 film, isn't it, guys? Which is true. I think even they said what well, was a jolly good 
family adventure story. It's introducing it for a new generation. So, so there was a kind of feeling of kind of giving it a bit of a pass for being a retread because we wanted a palate cleanser after the prequels. And now we're in a situation where people look back fondly on the prequels in a very short amount of time. In fact, in the space of six months, Star Wars popularity just went off a cliff. Now, there was underlying rot before then. So to go back to our earlier point, the toys have not been selling this time around. Even though parents religiously took their kids to go see Star Wars, and maybe they had a bit of a buzz, like we said, for a while, it didn't stick. Toys are us. Like, do you know how much merchandising they just couldn't shift and is now in every bargain basement store throughout the land after that company dissolved? It's It's quite grim. The thing about it is, George Lucas managed to tap into a thing that wasn't like people didn't know when he made Star Wars toys having watched the uh, eight part documentary The Toys That Made Us on Netflix uh, have you caught this? it's a Netflix original uh, not yet, I have a strange relationship with Netflix okay, it's complicated um, You should. it should be on the top of your list you know, okay, so there's an episode about Barbie and an episode about Hello Kitty but the good thing about it is that the documentary series as a whole is like in this thing where it goes well here's how the toy started and so by the time you get to those episodes that have less interest you just want to follow the story so that's quite cool but they do star wars they do he-man they do gi joe they do lego oh star trek they do the episode about star trek toys is really interesting because star trek toys have always been so rubbish and like it's a kind of a whole documentary about why Star Trek toys have always been rubbish and look set to be rubbish for the foreseeable future. And yeah, before Star Wars, the idea of something being toyetic was bandied about. In fact, Star Wars brought the newer toyetic into the world fully outside of the toy industry. And it was the only game in town. Then, of course, you have things like He-Man and things like that, which exploited this idea that if you have... I mean, what's really interesting about G.I. Joe as opposed to the old... Well, what we would call Action Man, but the original G.I. Joe doll, the smaller kind of vehicle-based Star Wars rip-off iteration of G.I. Joe was entirely like a kind of melange of ripping off the Star Wars business model and ripping off the He-Man business model, where it's like, well, we have to have a cartoon and a comic and, you know, we have to do all this stuff to get people into it. And, of course, Transformers were there as well. So you have all of this stuff that happened after Star Wars, uh, before even the 90s. And if you think you're going to make a Star Wars movie today and it's going to be quite so easy to shift them toys, it's a different world. Uh, Star Wars had a 90s revival prior to the prequels coming out because they re-released the special editions of original films in the cinema. There was a toy line released yes. at the same time. I mean, it was, it was showing it was still a bit of a kicker as far as I understand. I mean, it has collectors. What concerns me at the moment, to get back to what, why Star Wars is screwed, and my main thing is it's 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 narrative direction at the moment and, and, and the creative development of which has been very little is that we can't even get me low-hanging fruit portly guy who reminisces about watching things on star wars and will watch youtube videos theorizing about who that guy in the bathrobe was uh, even i'm like feeling I'm, I'm a bit over this right now and that's dire you've lost the neck beards even they don't want to go see star wars anymore 
this is where you need to stop and go, we're doing something very wrong here. We've made a mistake. We're, we're in the wrong timeline and we need to go back t- back in time and change things somehow. Well, I think I will have a counterpoint to that for definite. Because here's how, see how I went down with it. So, original trilogy existed, I watched them all, uh, and there was like, yeah, that was cool. And then the prequels came out, and I watched those, and I'm like, well, those weren't very good, along with everyone else. And I never really felt that they were as bad as people made out at the time, but I didn't think they were good. You know, the, the motto of people who hated the prequels in the 90s, well, early 2000s, was, you ruined my childhood. And I never felt that, because my childhood had already been ruined enough. And I, it was just like, yeah, these are not very good. The dialogue is terrible. Plots are weird. It's, they're just not very good. Uh, what's really interesting is that I was going to put together an article for a website I was writing for, and it kind of ran out of steam when we got to the original trilogy. Because I was watching... My wife really hates Star Wars. Like, she really doesn't get it. And to be fair, we've even done the first two superior re-entries. This is what's really interesting to me. There's that Force Awakens was given a pass because it was this revival and therefore remaking the first one. Some people didn't like it and wanted something new right away, but even them you could shut up with, yeah, but all these kids, they don't know what the hell Star Wars is. You know, they might like it as a historical thing, but the experience of being in the Star Wars culture, you have to give them that. So J.J. Abrams did the job. That was it. That was the job. He did it. Let's move on. And then Rogue One came out, and that's what's really interesting is that I believe, as I, my recollection of it, was that Rogue One was extremely warmly embraced. There were a few people who were a bit like, it's not really necessary, but most people were like, it's a different tone. I we like this. I, it was my favourite, to be honest. It was right up there, and it still is. I really like it. I've watched those two with Sue, and it doesn't matter what you do, how many female protagonists you put in there, or whatever, she's just like, it's pew-pew, I'm not interested, I don't care. And I was like, okay, fair enough. If you have nothing good to say about Force Awakens, except, well, it's got a couple of good jokes in it, and you've got nothing good to say about Rogue One, nothing good to say about the original trilogy, and nothing, and you, in fact, the most warm you are is towards the Phantom Menace and the Revenge of the Sith. Nobody likes Attack of the Clones. If your warmest things like, like at the end of uh, Phantom Menace where the droids and the Gungans are having a battle, she's like, but this is a battle where I don't want anyone to die because I think the droids are cute and I think the Gungans are cute. Why can't they all just get along? And I'm like, okay, so this is how you're approaching this property at this point. That's fine. So, you know, but it's it's stuck in her head, whereas nothing about the original trilogy sticks in her head. She hated Rogue One because it was miserable. She didn't like Force Awakens because it was just more Star Wars. I mean, basically, the underpinning of the article, which would have been, this is my wife's crazy reactions to all the Star Wars stuff, it kind of fell apart because... It, apart from prequel stuff, which is quite interesting, the original trilogy, she's just bored. Just bored, bored, bored. Doesn't even have anything to say about them. So up until that point, I believe we were on a winner. 
it's really that Last Jedi flick that people really had a problem with. Yes, and we can do some Last Jedi bashing, and certainly it's a key text to what went wrong. Uh, and certainly I've also go far as to say it's so bad, it actually not only diminishes Force Awakens, it goes back in time and tarnishes the original trilogy as well. That's the level of kind of, oh that I, I kind of have with it. And we can, we can get very jolly angry and, and retread a lot of stuff that's been covered in many other places elsewhere. Can I do a summary for you for that? Because I've watched two YouTube videos, long ones, about what's wrong with Last Jedi. Yeah. One of them was an entirely reasonable thing which picked on one specific moment and said kind of this breaks everything. And in a very well-reasoned way, to which my reaction, as someone who... I quite enjoyed The Last Jedi, to be honest. So, you know, I was like, yeah, but it's the whole thing's got silly bits in it that just make everything. I don't care if you say it breaks everything. I'm not really paying that level of attention to the series as a whole. So I don't care. I quite enjoyed it. And then the other one was this absolute, like this guy's mounted. I only watched one video, but this guy's mounted an absolute character assassination hate. But he tries to get people to like join some kind of, we hate social justice warriors in Star And I just wanted to see, you know, the blancmange in full wobble. And this is a problem that people who have a creative reservations with, I mean, far worse than the aforementioned Ghostbusters fuss, is that the people who hate it for the wrong reasons are creating far more noise than the people who have legitimate creative concerns about it. And that's why a lot of people who wish everyone would just stop, just stop. I, I, my personal uh, attitude to it is that whereas J.J. Abrams kind of set the tone for like going, look, this thing's been around since the late seventies. It had a wobbly period in the early two thousands where it kind of came back, but they cheated by doing prequels. The last instalment continuity wise was in 1983 in order to take this franchise and build it up again. We have to wipe everything clean and start from the ground up. And it does a lot of jobs in that, but also in a way that's a bit creatively loose, which maybe isn't the best thing. I kind of have a, a, a grand thesis, which might take a little time to get through. Perhaps I should just get to it, because I kind of feel we're skirting around a lot of things. I mean, uh, just to talk about what I call the Monge, which is the social war that's currently going on. Yes, it's, it's, there are elements which are very loud and have a certain uh, political standpoint on things. But the other thing I want to say is that to some extent I feel the bear is being poked. There's a, the sense of uh, the last Star Wars film might not have made a lot of money, but at least it pissed off the right people. I feel like that's not the attitude to have. But anyway, that's just Blamange. Let's leave Blamange alone. We don't need Blamange to make our case. Star Wars is clearly failing to connect with the general audience, as Solo, as Solo has proven, as toy sales have proven. We don't need to talk about my representation even white beardy people don't want to go see this movie at the moment. Uh, okay, the problems start at the initial outlaying of their grand scheme. At the time, a lot of people looked at their business plan and said, oh, they're just copying the Marvel movies. And everyone said this was a terrible idea. And it's since failed, and everyone's now concluded that you can't have a yearly Star Wars movie. It can't follow the, the Marvel movie model. I contend, aside from its release schedule, it has in no way emulated 
the uh, Marvel movies, except perhaps in the shoehorning of humor. Each Marvel movie builds a consistent universe. All the films inhabit the same world. That is not true of what Star Wars has been doing. So you had Force Awakens, and that was all very well and good. Everyone says it's a bit of a retread, but oh well, never mind. Then along comes uh, the trailer for Rogue One. We all pour upon it because we're all still feeling the Star Wars vibe a bit strongly at the moment. We're all excited. Yeah, it's a bit of a retread, but there are lots of elements that were threaded in there for later. Like, <clears throat> who is Snoke? Because he's this guy that's rebuilt the Empire. And who is Rey and where did she come from? And you know, we've all got the speculation train going. And suddenly we're looking at this trailer for Rogue One. And we're thinking, ah, oh, this is really clever because what they can do here is that they can lay lots of seeds for things to develop in the background. So all these characters, new events that are popping up in the new, new trilogy, they can lay all the groundwork here. So they're always going on in the background and like, oh yes, so maybe the bit of Snoke here or maybe this character, Janus, or maybe, maybe she's going to be Luke's wife and she's Ray's mother. And there's all these theories and speculation going on about building a larger world. And maybe because we knew they're under contract to possibly, if, if they wanted to make more rogue films, rogue two, rogue three, that was an option in the contract. So maybe they're going to have like a series of these films and like, oh, uh, rebel special ops. We can tell a whole other story that sows a deeper universe because everyone agreed we have to expand the universe if we're going to make more films out of all these. And we go and see Rogue One and it, it, it literally is just the opening call of the first Star Wars film. That's all it is. What they said it was was what it said it was. There was no surprises. Or Darth Vader going down a corridor killing lots of people was quite exciting. Uh, but aside from that, that's all it was. It was just a film that pumped you to go see Star Wars 1977. Well, thank you for that. Uh, better to have it than not, I suppose, and so off we go to Last Jedi. There's this game you play as a kid in school where you start drawing, a, you get a piece of paper, you fold it three times, and someone draws the head of a monster, and you fold it over, and you hand the next person, and they draw the body of the monster without actually seeing what the head is like. This is pretty much what the new Star Wars films are like. People are literally making up as they go along, and they're going with their whims. There's no grand plan, there's no through line, and most of what Last Jedi does seems to be to shut down everything that was building up from Force Awakens. The decks have been so thoroughly cleared in Last Jedi, there's not a lot left to hang on to at all. Luke's gone. Jedi pretty much finished. The Empire is now resurgent. Snoke, oh, the guy who brought back the Empire, built an even bigger Death Star, turned Han Solo's son against him. That pivotal character, well, he's dead. So it doesn't even matter uh, what his backstory was anymore. It's irrelevant. It just feels like it's all being dismissed very quickly. And perhaps this was a result of not wanting to seem too predictable. So Ray isn't, isn't going to have I am your father moment. Instead, they think, what's the most interesting new thing we can do? Oh, she's nobody. She's from nowhere. That's new and interesting, they thought. But it doesn't really give you anywhere to go with the character after that, does it, really? So she's just Ray. Okay, well, let's get on with some venturing now, I suppose. But no one's really connected to these new characters. All the old characters are, the characters have been killed off, or the actor who plays them is dead. This is this is perhaps another thing we'll get later. They've all had really miserable fates. But on what I've just said right now, that Star Wars is not building anything. It isn't building a wider universe. Star Wars at the moment feels like a smaller galaxy than it has ever been. It's just literally rebels and empire of some sort squabbling in the backwaters of the galaxy, having their ships funded by the sinister people from a casino. And literally, when they send out a distress call going, the rebels are about to fall... No one bothers to turn up. No one cares. This has no impact on anybody. I don't know why it matters if the Empire rules again or not. I don't care. 
And then Solo came out. Backstory Han Solo, everybody. No one wanted it. And it's exactly what it says it's going to be. It's the backstory Han Solo. There you go. We, we could have threaded some things in it to build later, but no. Do Darth Maul at the end. Uh, but that's not going to go anywhere now because it flopped. So there we go. It's this complete desiccated, empty, underdeveloped world. Nothing has built on anything. We're four films in and we have less to play with than when we started. I think you're probably quite correct. The counterpoint to that is that maybe they had to do this because, honestly, if you go through Star Wars to Return of the Jedi, like you can't build the new franchise on everyone being related forever, um, especially not with their schedule. Now, that kind of begs the question. Marvel are up to three movies a year, everybody. Uh, three movies a year. Uh, and then Sony trying to steal their toys, which is uh, ridiculous, but uh, for another time. Whereas Star Wars is very much, we're going to do one movie a year, and then weirdly we're going to release Solo not at Christmas time for no real reason. Uh, I mean, it might have done better in a Christmas release slot. Every Christmas is Star Wars time. I mean, apart from anything else, it would have given longer for the last Jedi thing to kind of blow over. And people might go, no, all right, I'll go and give it a chance. He probably would have done better, now that I come to think about it. But no, they stuck to their guns uh, and went up against Black Panther, Infinity War and Deadpool, all coming out within that window. And guess what? They got their ass handed to them on a plate. What a big surprise that is. There was certainly a big malaise amongst the fan, amongst us fans after seeing Last Jedi. I have never rewatched it ever since. I'm not going to buy the DVD, and it's not any sort of boycott principle stand I'm making. The film just makes me feel a bit sad and miserable. Uh, that is the emotion I get when I walk out the other side. I know you saw it as a perfectly acceptable, thrilling adventure for two hours of your life, and indeed that was my kind of experience at the time. It was to sort of go away afterwards, and you kind of just kind of feel sad and empty. You said they, they had to uh, do something, because the Return of Jedi was no foundation to build something upon afterwards. Well, they'd already thrown out all the established post-Return of the Jedi continuity. All the books, the coin books, the video games, yeah. that was all gone. So they had a completely blank slate. They didn't have to lumber themselves with the public. They needed to blow up uh, off-screen. And they, they could have done anything. They could have just had, oh, well, maybe now there's a, some sort of galactic alliance, and it's like much, lots more of different feudal uh, mini-kingdoms uh, in space. That would have been more interesting. Oh, well, I'll tell you what would have been interesting, and this idea I take directly from Star Wars Original Trilogy Risk, because it's one of my favourite variants of Risk and all I know about. I think the obvious thing, once you collapse the Empire, is that everyone assumes that the Republic are going to take over. But the galactic crime syndicate run by the Huts goes, wait a second, there's a power vacuum. And then suddenly, in the following trilogy, the uh, the entire universe is run by gangsters. That would be, and then the rebels have to become like the forces of law and order, uh, except that they're kind of also still rebels because now everything's run by gangsters. So that would be very exciting. But they, yeah, there were lots of, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the things that's with legitimacy is, and they chose to skip past all of them. I remember uh, Ryan Johnson doing this whole thing about how they, he was given a completely free hand and how he's always been a massive Star Wars fan and, and essentially, it does mean that what we have to sadly conclude is that The Last Jedi is Ryan Jen- Johnson's extremely polished Star Wars fan fiction. 
And that's the problem. It's so far into that fan fiction area that a lot of people who are in the same boat as him in terms of their love of the series can't stand it because that's one of the things. It's like, I'm one of those weirdos whose only fan fiction is an Assassin's Creed fan fiction that does its utmost to pay complete respect to the entire canon, more respect than Ubisoft do to their franchise, and tries to weave it in in a very legitimate way so that if you were a fan of the games, you would read the fan fiction and go, yeah, that fits. Whereas I think a lot of fan fiction is like, I don't care. I mean, the point is that it's part of the liberation of creating fan fiction for fan fiction creators is I don't have to care how everyone else is a fan of X. I only have to care how I want to express my fandom. And I feel that Mr. Johnson may have been way too far into that territory of I just want to express my love of Star Wars through this. And it was so different to what other people have a deep love of, that it just turned them off. Whereas people who didn't care in the first place were like, yeah, that looks like a Star Wars movie to me. I don't think that's necessarily the case, because I think people were looking for something that broke the formula. Everyone was going into last year, I think it's going to be a retread of Empire Strikes Back. And to to certain service level events, it, it was. But I think Ryan Johnson took a very conscious decision. He, I mean, it's been observed by other people. It's not my own original thought. He, he, he sets things up and then he pulls the rug out from beneath you. He does it continually throughout the film to try and keep you off balance as to where this is going to go or what's going to happen. You kind of see a scene set things up. You think this is going to happen. And then that actually doesn't happen at all. Uh, and someone cocks something up, maybe. To kind of talk about why the fans are depressed, a thing to zero in on, in on here is the classic heroes. And they all accept the fact that these guys are all getting old and need to hand over the torch to a new generation. And they all knew this was the deal going in. They all knew that Harrison Ford wasn't going to do more than one movie before he was going to die somehow. But it's the fact that when you sit back and you look at our heroes here, the guys that they really loved, they all got utterly destroyed. And not just like they all had deaths. No. They were annihilated. They were undone and humiliated. Han and Leah, yeah, the marriage never really worked. Uh, the son turned evil, kind of destroyed everything. So then Han just went back to being a smuggler again, back to where he was at the beginning. He used to be a respected rebel general who had won the war. Now he's just a bum, deadbeat dad, father. Luke couldn't be even more bit or destroyed. Everything he's built has been wiped away. And it isn't just like a bad turn of events in the last few years prior to the movie starting. These things go back decades. So it's like Return of the Jedi, everyone's had a big party because we finally beat the Empire and the Emperor is dead. Everyone cheer. Yay, we victory for us. Yeah, as soon as that party is over, things just start going from bad to worse to worse. And at the point now where not only all these characters dead, everything they fought for has been undone. The entire struggle of the original trilogy is pointless. This is where my Gangsters Run Universe thing would have paid off. Uh, no, I would have been fine with that. If they came in and said, you know, it, it, we tried to put it together, but hey, the everything's bankrupt because we had a military detention running things the last few years, not known for making lots of money. Uh, so everything's just bankrupt and destroyed and war-torn and ev- everything's corrupt. And and it's, it's effectively a giant galactic failed state. That would have been interesting. Well, this is what I was going to say, actually. One of the reasons why they failed so utterly is because they wanted to concentrate on the characters, 
But they didn't actually concentrate on the world, and I think if we're going to give George Lucas any credit, which we should, because, to be honest, looking back on it, he's on the right side of the digital revolution, he did make the original Star Wars, you know, and he was a GP involved. He cared about the world. Sometimes he cared about the world so much that it hurt and was stupid, but he cared about the world, and obviously what seems to have happened is this new creative team, they care about paying attention to the fans and the characters that were there, but... If you say, hey, we're going to set it in a place where they won the war, so now the Republic is fine, absolutely fine, but they've all failed, well, then they look like failures. But if you say, well, no, actually what happened was that the gangster suddenly popped out and, surprise, now we are going to run a sort of military dictatorship run by the huts that isn't even... It's not like... Like, the Emperor was trying to achieve something. Say what you like about the Imperial Vanguard and Darth Vader, but at least it's an ethos. These huts don't believe in anything, dude. One bad situation to another as predicated by the fact that war is bad and that war creates these situations. Well, then you give all those characters something to fight for because the reason they really failed is because up until the First Order popped up when they were all drawing their pensions, they didn't really have anything to fight for. Luke got to go and bum around creating a kind of hippie camp for Jedi kids to go and express themselves. And Han and Leia didn't have anything to any purpose so they end up arguing amongst themselves and splitting up and it's all obviously i mean yeah the characters do make sense because you've made the way it's like yeah what happens to heroes when the world is essentially fine well if the world continues to be fine long enough those heroes fail to be heroic anymore they just turn sour which is exactly what happened. If they'd have found a way to make the world hostile, then Han wouldn't have had to go back to being a bum because he would have had something to fight against, as would have Leia, as would have the Jedis. If Luke's Jedi Academy had had to run under the circumstances of now being on the run from a bunch of gangsters who don't care about spirituality one job and will just kill people, then he's got something really spiritual to get his teeth into and therefore we don't have to have this. And I don't even care about Star Wars and I can see that. The new batch of characters we put together aren't exactly brimming with much to distinguish them, I'm, I'm sorry to say. And it has to be said across the board, good guys and bad guys, competence is thin on the ground. Say what you like about Darth Vader, at least he got shit done. Yeah, so I suppose... I mean, right, I, I want to leave off here and I want to leave off with a thing where it's like Star Wars has not yet had its Iron Man moment. Yeah? I mean, if we actually look at it, what's happening in Star Wars at the moment is sort of like a compressed and very similar. Like, we've had our X-Men in The Force Awakens, where X-Men is like, yeah, it's kind of, we've seen a lot of this, but I suppose this one's all right. Yeah? This is very much the same vibe. Then Rogue One, I would contend, is like that original Sam Raimi Spider-Man. It's like, okay, so it goes, harkens back to a Silver Age, and it kind of does it, but it does it very polished and very well. Now we're in the Hulk Daredevil phase of Star Wars, where it's like, no, we've lost it, we've lost it, we've lost it. And we're still waiting for 2008. And the point is that somebody pointed out, and this is very true... The reason Marvel Universe, Cinematic Universe, didn't spring up out of nowhere in 2008 
people kind of remember it like that, but that's not what happened. Well, Iron Man had existed since the 60s anyway in comics, but nobody cares about comics. But Marvel Animated Studios had done a couple of cartoons that were well received with him. When they made the movie, they took full advantage of that Matrix under the radar. Nobody cared about Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. Nobody cared. And so they were able to get on with it and get away with things. I think that was the important thing, was that, you know, that was a shambles. Everybody said, we are amazed that everybody loves Iron Man, the original movie, because we were just making it up. We didn't have any clue what we were doing. But they had Father Marvel. They had Kevin Feige, who had been working on Marvel productions for over a decade at that point, going, well, you shouldn't do this and you should do that, and just taking the notes and that, came up. Star Wars has not had that. I mean, this is the point. Solo in a way and then giving it some space and maybe Episode 9 coming and going as if it's on, well, we kind of have to tick the box kind of way and then everything going quiet is exactly where Marvel things were pre-2008. The blank slate where it's like they take something and then they go, here's this thing. And everybody goes, wow, have you seen this thing? This is, thing is so good. Once they have that keystone, they need their equivalent of Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man to go, you've taken your first step into a larger world. But they could do it. But the point is, they're not at the point of Iron Man yet. And I think that's all that is the problem, really. The other thing also, uh, to say they, did, they didn't copy the Marvel model. The Marvel model, I mean, the, the initial plan was, hey, let's just do an Iron Man Thor film and uh, Captain America film, and then draw them all together for a big gang-up movie. And there was a lot of excitement about the plot threads that were building along the way. Again, their failure to plan, have a plan at all, uh, and their failure to seed ex- continuity of excitement in the people who are paying attention to their films is exposed here. What have I got to hang on to going into episode nine? But what's really weird is that all that people had to hang on to was, one, Nick Fury emerging from the shadows and going, you've taken your first step in there, which they did as a, like, a, maybe we could do this, I don't know, let's see what people, people went nuts for it. So then they quickly went and tacked onto the Hulk, Tony Stark talking to the general, like, oh, which they, which is really weird, because again, that was a tack on. They just wanted to make it seem as if there was a direction in which they were going, even though they really had no idea. But what's really weird is that they took that tiny little thing where they're in a bar and the general and Tony Stark are having a conversation and they have built Tony Stark's as a facet of Tony Stark's entire character where he's the one that sides with the government and thinks we need more control out of that one incident because they're going well that happened like that's canonical so it's a very important plank that he believes that he should work with the military even though he doesn't particularly want their oversight Itself. I mean, that's really weird, but it kind of works psychologically. And then, right, people seem to remember that the Marvel Cinematic Universe went Iron Man, and then forget about the Hulk one, then Iron Man 2, which happened, like, hot on the heels. And then there was a huge gap before Thor. Like, or rather, Iron Man 2 came out in 2010, and that was just a sort of putting a finger in there, just to say, because 2008 to 2011, which is when they planned for, Iron Man 2 wasn't even supposed to exist in 2010. They just went, oh, looks like we've got a hit, we better do something, quick, move, move, which is why Iron Man 2 is such a mess, I think. 
But yeah, they hadn't really, they'd gone 2008 and then Thor could come up in 2011 and then blah, blah, blah. And because of the sudden thing they had in their hands, they supercharged everything and went for it. And thankfully it paid off. But yeah, Star Wars hasn't had that moment where it's like there's nothing, we will feel like there's nothing and suddenly there's something. Okay, Mr. Outside Perspective, I have two questions for you. Number one, uh, is Star Wars screwed? Uh, And number two, what is the path out, assuming we're going to carry on making Star Wars movies? Right, well, this is their big problem, you see, because even though Iron Man came out of nowhere as far as the mass audience is concerned, and in fact wasn't even a particular popular character in comics, he did pre-exist. I mean, people knew... Mm -hmm. There were people who knew who Iron Man was. The thing is, people have been harping on about a Star Wars live-action television series since time immemorial. And the first one that they've actually got production set photos of is called The Mandalorian, which I think is a terrible title, because to most people it sounds far too similar to midi-chlorian. But let's move on. Those who are in the know, which is like those people who... Okay, have seen the picture of someone who looks a bit like Boba Fett in The Mandalorian have gone, that looks good. Which is like, how do you conclude that? This is like, I don't understand. There's something about the design <laughs> yes. of Boba Fett that makes people on the slimmest of visual cues go, yeah, that looks really boss. You, okay. the, Boba Fett's really strange. Do you know in the first Star Wars movie there's a guy with a little hook nose and he's got a hood, he's an alien, he's got a walkie-talkie and he sees Han Solo in Marseille, and he talks to his communicator, and later on there's another scene where he points some stormtroopers, and they have a shootout in the hangar. Yeah. That character is basically Boba Fett, but they put on a really cool costume and gave him a bit of mythology, and all of a sudden, the character now had legs far beyond his fairly minimal plot function, which he has in Empire Strikes Back, which is essentially the same thing. The kind of see Han Solo at a distance, and then point some stormtroopers towards him later on. That's Boba Fett's plot function. That's all he ever did. So, yes, so far we have a photo of a guy on set dressed like a character who's reminiscent of another character from Empire Strikes Back. Well done. It's a good piece of design then. It's a good piece of design now. It doesn't make a good show, I agree with you. Yeah, and this is the religion. Yeah, so there we go. So that's what it is. But in order for them to have that Iron Man moment... They have to have someone that the Star Wars fans know uh, and then produce some piece of quality entertainment which then catches people's imagination and then you're on the royal road. Marvel had the advantage that it was kind of like a time game. It's like, if people didn't like Iron Man, maybe they'd like Thor. If people were... I mean, you know, they were absolutely bricking it about Captain America. I mean, Captain America really lucked out. Because they had that guy in the White House who made America bearable for most people. And doing the wartime thing was the biggest stroke of genius ever because everybody could get behind Captain America because he came from a different era and therefore where America didn't suck. And so therefore he's more like a, he became more romantic for the fact that he still believed in all this stuff that Americans no longer believe. And that was, they played every stroke and every beat straight down the line perfect and star wars as far as i know the cupboard is bare they don't have once you've gone through luke leia han lando hasn't shown up yet and obviously would probably have to be recast at this i don't know i don't know what no no he's coming back in the next film i mean he was in he was in solo where where it's implied he was having a sexual relationship with his robot 
okay, fine, cool, whatever. Yeah, you've got, yeah, so you've got some characters. The problem is that in the original trilogy, they didn't have, you know, like Iron Man has a huge back catalogue of stories and you can pick the best out of that. Admiral Akbar has It's a Trap. And you can't make Admiral Akbar It's a Trap the movie. You can't. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, but, really, what do we... But what's, what Star Wars did have was the expanded universe. Now, I'm going to say straight up front, 90% of those books were complete dross. But there were clearly, you know, you make enough Star Wars books, sooner or later you stumble upon a good idea. There were a few things there the fans had latched on to as saying, yes, this is, this is, that thing would have been worthy of adapting. Like the character of Thrawn and Mara Jane, you don't know who these characters are. Uh, the, right, yes, right. Yong invasion of the galaxy. I'll bring, oh, right, well, there's a couple of things. Actually, yes. Okay, so what do they have in their cupboard? One, they have that Clone Wars series. Fans kind of like that. So we've got that. Thrawn is well enough known that I know that he exists. I don't know anything about anything further than that, but I know that. You also have, and I know this is kind of historical, but you could kind of go to Knights of the Old Republic, which was very warmly received. Uh, so you've got things. And what Star Wars people need to do, I mean, to be fair, given that they've left the bit that they wanted in such a parlous state, if Disney launch a thing to ask you, look, the extended universe, it still exists, obviously, and we decided to throw it all out, but we've kind of taken a look at it, and we've decided that that was a baby bathwater situation, and we're actually going to bring all that back into the fold. We're going to spend some time just finding out what that stuff's all about. You need to start with fan buzz. If they decided that the next movie they were going to do was going to be called Thrawn, it would be a complete reversal, surely. Like, in fan terms. I think, yes. Uh, the character of Thrawn has turned up in the successor series to Clone Wars called Rebels. The Clone Wars cancellation was was quite controversial at the time it happened because everyone felt Clone Wars was get going on a good speed and heading towards its climax. So it was cut off because Disney were now in charge and we got Rebels instead. And fair enough, there we are. But again, this is my earlier point, Rebels doesn't go anywhere. It's exactly what it says it is. It's the story of the plucky guys who formed the early rebellion before the 1977 Star Wars film. There we go. Yeah. But Thrawn did turn up in that. That's that's prequel time. I think there's also a thing which is kind of, I mean, the way that audiences reacted to the X-Men series, uh, how the X-Men series developed to decide things that they wanted to do uh, with their own properties. And one of the things that they probably learn is that uh, I mean they had a much better advantage because they'd done all this groundwork research but that you know although there are people who complain about it on the internet to this day the larger audience didn't really care that there was an Emma Frost in the 80s in Wolverine Origins which everyone hated and then a different Emma Frost in the 60s they didn't care because the second Emma Frost was seen as sort of the canonical Emma Frost and the one in the Wolverine movie we could just forget about her and that kind of stuff and so Marvel are there taking notes like okay so you can do that can you but you can't do this but you can do that but you can do okay cool so I think that's another thing they need to do. They need to do, what they need to do is take, if this character's popular, say, well, we're jettisoning that piece of continuity there. I mean, things that happen in books, it's the same as the, the comics universe with Marvel. We're jettisoning this, that, and the other, but we're now going to produce for a movie the definitive version of this fan favorite character. 
And that's how they need to approach it, exactly. I mean, if people keep talking about people ripping off the Marvel Universe, what they do is rip off the idea of having a bunch of interconnected movies that gets people really jazzed, but they don't ever actually rip off the way that Marvel have done things, which is to carefully research how audiences are probably going to react to X, to the extent where... Black Panther can come out and be a world-dominating, Oscar-contending, striding-across-the-earth colossus of a movie. And yet, everybody it's like people keep saying quick fix. Well, what is the quick fix on a cinematic universe? There isn't one. Everybody's just said, hey, you know that thing that makes loads of money? We want one of those. Without ever going, well, how did they get the thing that makes loads of money? Nobody's asked that question, to my knowledge. Not even DC. Uh, as far as what I would do as a kind of early treatment, Star Wars is a heroic genre. All the characters, those principal three they started out with, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, they're all heroic figures. Tony Stark has his demons, but he's a heroic guy. He does the right thing from his own perspective. You understand where he's coming from, and he, even if you disagree with him. And I kind of feel there's, there's, like I said before, there's far too much incompetence in our characters in, 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 the, in the news should just come out. I don't have any particular problems with any of these characters in concept. It's just their execution. You've got an ex-Empire stormtrooper turned rebel. Well, well, there's an interesting character, but he's played off again as a sort of comedy buffoon. It's frustrating. And Rose Tico, I don't have any problem with Rose Tico. My main problem is they made her a mechanic. Are you serious with me? She's got one job, but that's fixing things. Hello? That's what the robots do around here. Why are you giving her that? Then give us something else to do. Make her the computer hacker person or something. Well, of course, yes. I mean, one of the key quotable lines from the Avengers is, take away that fancy suit, what have you got? Uh, billionaire, playboy, genius, philanthropist. You know, it's like, if you take away the thing that makes you a, that makes you the, you know, main character in this movie, what have you got? Still someone who's pretty damn awesome. And I think you're right. Star Wars characters need to be that. It needs to be, they do this in the film, but take away that. What have they got? Are they still awesome? Yes. And that doesn't happen. That Luke, doesn't Luke, happen. Luke would be a stand-up guy, even if he didn't have aspirations to be a space wizard. Well, exactly. And Han Solo is basically, he has that heart of gold. He'd have the heart of gold whether he was a smuggler or not. Princess Leia kicks butt in a quiet, muted, sort of early 80s female kind of way. But you could still do that even if you weren't a princess or whatever it is. I don't know. It's very confused because of the way yeah. that the characters think. But the point is that if you take away the thing that makes them the thing, the role that they're playing in the story, they're still awesome people. And I think that's that's definitely something that needs to be remembered because Iron Man is awesome even if you take away his metal suit. Captain America is still a decent, stand-up, really nice, loyal guy even if you take away his vibranium shield. Bruce Banner is a genius-level biophysicist, all of this kind of stuff, even when he's not a Green Rage monster. And they actually did take away Thor's hammer and he was still... Brilliant! Yes. So, it's like, this is the point. Yes. The point yes. is that these people are so core, deep, brilliant, yeah. that they are brilliant outside of their role inside the respective story. And that's not happening here. We've probably put our finger on it there, that this is not the case. So, is Star Wars screwed, though? Uh, Star Wars is currently... Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have like a little red light bulb in a box with the word Scrooge showing through, that light is on at the moment. 
but the light isn't permanent. It can be switched off. So yeah, at the moment, unfortunately, it really is. Uh, I mean, worse than Star Trek was screwed hmm. in the first in this series. I mean, Discovery's getting a second season. It's coming in January. And uh, even has fan-favorite characters now. So Star-, Star Trek is a lot less screwed than Star Wars at this date, which is a surprising thing to say. It, Abrams has a lot of work ahead of him, sort of rebuilding momentum, bearing in mind just how barnstormingly huge Awakens was, how well received it was. All that goodwill is evaporated. He's got to, he's got to put some defibrillators on the fandom to try and wake them back up again. I don't envy him his job and he's inherited an awful lot of baggage. It's, it's kind of like, it feels now like the obligatory third part for trilogy. So it kind of feels like it's a hump we have to get over so we can just wipe it all out say, oh, well, and kind of start over again with something smaller and simpler. One of the things about this is, uh, I don't know if anyone noticed at home, you probably didn't, you think we were just being really subtle, but I didn't actually bother to write up any schnotes for this, uh, and we didn't need them. And indeed, we could probably go on to... There are, I imagine... I've never looked, but entire podcasts whose entire raison d'etre is to moan about There's stuff. whole YouTube channels, a whole network of them, and all they do all the time is come online and have hangouts about, oh my goodness, look at the state we're in. Yeah, so, you know, Star Wars is a big subject. We've scratched the surface. We've just done our usual 80s kid job. We've answered the question, and the question is, the, the news is not good, ladies and gentlemen, but we kind of knew that going into this show. Hopefully, uh, when we come back, I, I think the next is screwed will be something that's more contentiously screwed. We've never done a Star Wars episode before, and I'm not going to say that we're not going to do one in the future, because the nice thing about this, the ray of sunshine from the point of view of 80s kids fans, is that when something is so on the outs as this, then it's, you know, we didn't do a Star Wars show in the past, because Star Wars was Star Wars. What more could we possibly add to the conversation at the time when we were running a show? Now we've got to a point where Star Wars is so you know, messed up, that it is, we have something to add to the conversation, which we just did. And will we have something further to add to the conversation in the future? It looks likely. So, more Star Wars episodes. Well, I mean, you could let us know whether you actually wanted to have more conversation about Star Wars in the podcast, or less, or whether we're wrong, or idiots, or whether we're right, and genius messiahs, or billionaire, playboy, whatever it is, philanthropist. Yeah, you could let us know all of that. And if you did want to do that, Ian, where would they go to do that thing? Well, Leo, one place they could go would be our Facebook page. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. But podcasts are what it's all about. And to find a full archive stretching back from the very dawn of time, all you have to do is point your web browser at the 80s kids and that's 80s as in word, dot blogspot.com. Once there, you'll be able to subscribe using the podcast aggregator of your choice or stream and download individual episodes direct to your PC for dark reasons of your own. If people want to subscribe directly to the cast, Leo, uh, how might they do that? Well, Ian, all they have to do is set up a new feed in their podcast aggregator and point it to 
feeds.feedburner.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids and that's 80s as in numbers again so 80s if people are so impressed by the audio they've heard today they would consider offering their support on patreon to make the world of the 80s kids brighter still they could check out our patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash the 80s kids and that's 80s the word And that about concludes all the business that we have for this Star Wars episode of Red Dead Kids. In a way, I kind of wish that our Star Wars episode had been in sunnier times one the other. At least it not being sunnier times gave us a lot to waffle about. Well, you, you, you speak for yourself. I've had gorgeous weather over here in Australia. Uh, but that said, uh, just because of the heat, I'm going to have to put my Star Wars enthusiasm into carbonite to keep it fresh. And I hopefully I can thaw it out later when the new movie comes out next Christmas. Uh, but for now, I guess what that means is, May the Force be with Star Wars, because it needs that kind of good wish, and bye-bye. It's a wrap! Oh, good! <laughs>